here we are. We're, we're beginning a brand new series, and we're, we're in Lent. And that 40 days of Lent has been traditionally a time when the church has thought about repentance, about laying down some stuff in order to pick up this following Jesus more closely. And so we are going to think a little bit about repentance today. So just hold that word in your mind, repent. And it's, we're looking at Matthew chapter 3 in a few minutes' time. So um, repent, is that a positive word for you or a negative word? I may ask you some questions, and you're allowed to answer the questions. They won't be rhetorical questions. I'll be saying, shout, shout your answer out um, in, in a few minutes' time. But um, this whole series, in, as we lead up to Easter, is help us to think about who Jesus is. And honestly, Christians have the most extraordinary ideas about Jesus. And maybe if you're watching online today, you're someone who's exploring faith, and you want to get your head around, Jesus, who is he? Um, so I, I'm just put it out there, for instance, how many people here feel that their relationship with God is primarily with God, with God the Father? You know, that's, that's where, can you put your hand up if that's your, your strong one, your strong suit, yeah? One or two people say that. And what about the Holy Spirit? How many people feel like the Holy Spirit is really where I connect with God? Four of you? Well done. No, great. And, and in terms of Jesus, how many people have their main connection to Jesus? Great. You know, that was a different answer. There was a lot of you who, who, who were non-committal there, by the way. Uh, the, the majority were definitely non-committal. thought, is this a trick question? But, but I, I think for myself, um, sometimes I'm so kind of aware of, of who I am as a child of God and you know, for me, one of my prayers is that I'm often saying the Lord's Prayer and using that as a springboard in my prayer life, that I don't always major as much on talking to Jesus or thinking through what does it really mean that Jesus is my Lord and why would Jesus be Lord? And, and, and when we do Alpha, and a number of people here may be doing Alpha right now, one of the big questions that Alpha asks is, who is Jesus? But honestly, it's the really big question that the Gospels ask too. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus just a great moral teacher? Is Jesus somebody who, as a spiritual man and a prophet, helps us understand connect with, with, with the Father? Is it, what, what's the level of authority that Jesus has in our life? Is Jesus really the Son of God? That's an extraordinary claim, isn't it? That Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. That is absolutely extraordinary. Do, do, do Christians really believe that? And do Christians believe that this man who died, actually rose from the dead. It's a very unusual thing to believe. I think it's, it's a key belief. And actually, if you believe that, it opens the door to so many other truths and beliefs that we follow. Um, you know, this book, Inspired, that's a big belief, isn't it? But it's not as, as, as out there as believing that Jesus rose from the dead. So that's where we're going. In, as we go up to Easter, we're thinking about who is Jesus and looking at all the way through Matthew's gospel, different windows. And today we're beginning in Matthew chapter 3 with John the Baptist. And who can tell me who, what John the Baptist's job was? Okay, so to baptize with people in order to do what? All right, prepare, thank you, Jamil. To prepare the way of the Lord. That's what we understand the role of. John the Baptist to be, a prophet, the last of the great line of Old Testament prophets who comes to prepare the way of the Lord. Do you know that the Old Testament prophesies that there will be a prophet? The very last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. 
And it talks there at the end of the, the Old Testament, as we have it in our Bibles, about the, 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 the Elijah is going to come. And there's going to be a great and terrible day of the Lord. And Elijah is going to come to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children, hearts of the children to the parents. So, you know, Jewish people today are waiting for Elijah to come. But Jesus said John the Baptist was Elijah. Now, actually, if you know your Bibles, um, you'll be able to tell me what John the Baptist looked like. So this is another question. What did John the Baptist look like? A bit weird. He wore funny clothes. What, what clothes did John the Baptist wear? Okay, so he wore a hairy coat and a leather belt, and he lived in the wilderness. Now, anyone else wear a leather coat and a hairy coat like that in the Bible? If you go to 2 Kings chapter 1, you'll describe, Elijah is described in just that way. When, when, um, when the, 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 the king of Samaria is having a hard time because uh, uh, the prophet keeps prophesying, they, they send to catch him. What does he look like? Well, he's wearing a, a hairy coat and a leather belt. That's Elijah, the Tishbite. And, and Elijah and John the Baptist have a similar appearance. They also have a similar trajectory because they both got in trouble with the king's wife. Elijah got in trouble with Jezebel. She wanted to take his life. John the Baptist got in trouble with Herodias, the wife of Herod. She actually took his life. You know, there's a lot of similarities. And, and, but Jesus says, Elijah, the Elijah that's prophesied, actually he's really being represented by John the Baptist. So when we read the story of John the Baptist, the prophet, what does the prophet do in, in the Old Testament? What, what's the job of a prophet? Do the roving mic. Anyone could do a roving mic for me? Come on, Rachel. Okay, so we're going to find out. Uh, what, what does the prophet do? Who's, who's going to tell me? Grab Rachel, she comes around. A prophet does what? We're going shy now. It's like no one wants to give the wrong answer, do they? Come on, Hayes. Speaks the word of God. Speaks, speaks the word of God. Okay, great. And behind you've got. Um, Ben, ben, is it? No, not this Ben. He's putting the hand up. Makes, path, makes the path straight for the Lord. Okay, great. Makes the path straight for the Lord. That's, I'll come back to that one. Yeah. Any, any other things that a prophet does? Uh, Ash. Sorry? Okay. Do you? Okay, the message, message from God. Great. A couple more. Prophesies or foretells. So it so can speak about the future, yeah? And we've got a couple in the front row here, Ash and, uh, uh, and um, Brad. Okay, thank you. Reminds people of the covenant. And what was yours, Ash? Calls people to repentance. The, the prophets got a big job, actually, haven't they? <laughs> they? They do all those things. But the primary purpose of a prophet using all those vehicles is to call people back to God. God sends prophets to call people back. Yes, call people back to covenant. Call people back to the relationship that they had with their father, and their, their creator and their Lord. Calls people back all the time. And, and, and calling people back means turning from one direction to follow another direction. It means leaving behind idols and embracing true worship. It means... Re recovenanting yourself to all the, the, the life that God has called his people to. 
And so a prophet will often use that word, repent. Now, for us, that's a negative word very often. We have a caricature of what repent looks like, don't we? We, we kind of envisage some of the placard back in the olden days. Repent, you know, the, <laughs> the ways of sin is death. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is now repent. It might, might be a kind of quite a negative judgmental picture. But can anyone tell me what the word repent actually means? If you un- unpack it, what, what does it mean? Well done. So the Greek word metanoia that we use in the New Testament means to turn around, to change your mind, to change your direction. And of course, the direction that I'm going away from God, when the prophet calls me, come back, and I say yes, and I confess that I'm going in the wrong direction, means I'm turning back to face God, I'm going towards him again. And that is what John the Baptist does. He comes to call people back. So I'll I'll, I'll read to you from the opening verses of Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan and confessing their sins... They were baptized by him in the River Jordan. And later on in the chapter, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I'll read the rest of the chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting on him, and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Here's John doing something unique, baptizing people as a sign that they are going to turn because they're being prepared for the Lord and for the kingdom of God which is nearby, the kingdom of God which is at hand. Now, I think it's extraordinary on one hand, to call people back to God. There's another thing for a prophet to call people back to a person rather than just the Lord. For John the Baptist to say there's someone coming, a a person is coming who's mightier than I. And and he's going to be inaugurating, he's going to be making the kingdom of God real among you. That's a big deal because it's not just... Israel back to God. It's Israel to this person, the people of God. So who is this person? That must have been huge for John. And for John, what is it that he saw about Jesus that was different? Can anyone tell me what, what they think that, okay, that roving mic, is it around? He 
He recognised him as the Lamb of God. Thank you. I'm going to come back to that. What else did, did, did John the Baptist say about Jesus? What's he up to? What's he come to do? Why is he here? What did, what did, what did John the Baptist say Jesus is going to do? Not a trick question. Um, Hazel. Well, he didn't say that about himself. It was said about the one that's to come. What did he himself say? To, yeah? Ash? All right. Good. Those, those are all good, all, all, all good answers. But not, not really what I want, but it'll, it'll do. Come on, a bit more encouragement. Amen. Um, we had uh, this morning our 8 o'clock service. Jonathan Crabtree was preaching. He's from America. He's from the south, from Mississippi. And if you say amen, he gets really fired up. Whoa! And, and he did. Anyway, I, I, I learn, I'm learning from him. Now, um, so John introduces Jesus to us. Uh, and he comes to tell us what Jesus is going to do. That's what it is. I need to prepare you for the one that's coming because he's mightier than I. He's not like everybody else. He's not like the prophets that's coming. He's different from me. In what way is he different? The way he's different, John says, is I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now that is unique. Audrey very helpfully commented that John the Baptist saw Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's referenced in John's Gospel. But do you know that in all four Gospels, John the Baptist says, this is the one that's coming. This is what he's going to do. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John adds, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself, of course, in the book of Acts, the first chapter of Acts, says, in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The absolutely unique thing that Jesus does is baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that's quite key for us as we think about who Jesus is, because the one who baptizes with, with the Holy Spirit has a, a significant level of authority that's different. You know, I can, I can give you some great moral teaching. I can be a wonderful example of love. All of those things Jesus is. I can call people to follow me. But can I baptize you with the Holy Spirit? I can't. That is the work of God himself. That's a divine work. That's the work of Jesus. So there's already something in here that speaks beyond just a prophet who's going to be a greater prophet than me. There's someone who's going to be doing something which we call theologically inaugurate eschatology. Inaugurated eschatology. I like saying that word because it makes me sound really well educated. But when we talk about inaugural, we, we talk about the beginning something. You know, the inaugural speech is the first speech or whatever it is. And when we talk about eschatology, we talk about end times, last things. And Jesus comes to usher into the world, the last days, a kingdom community who are going to be the community of the new heavens and the new earth. He's ushering into the world a spirit-filled humanity. And he's the forerunner of that himself. Now, that's absolutely massive. Honestly, if I said to, to most people, what's the most important thing that Jesus came to do? They would say he came to die on the cross to take away our sin. Is that, is that right? And of course, that is absolutely 
unique. And, and of course, Jesus came to do that. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it's only part of what he came to do. When we read the creeds, you know, we, 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 we skip straight to the cross, you know. Jesus, born of a Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. You know, that's where we go. That's, that's often where we focus. But actually, the, it's all of a piece. The life of Jesus is the life of a spirit-filled human being. We're meant to observe the life of Jesus because we're being called into it ourselves. We're called to be people who are also children of God, full of the Holy Spirit, who do the kind of things that Jesus did. And when Jesus dies on the cross, that's what makes it possible for each of us to have a relationship with the Father and a relationship with the Son and a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we can be filled with the Spirit and be that new community of the kingdom of God. And so Good Friday is not complete without Easter Sunday. The cross is not complete without resurrection. And resurrection isn't complete without the day of Pentecost. That's all of the things that Jesus came to do. He came to show us what it looks like to live as a, as a son of God, as a child of God, as a, he, what, it, what it looks like to be a spirit-filled human being. He came to be God's own son who takes away the sin of the world. He came to, to rise from the dead and, and to, to inaugurate a kingdom community of people who are going to follow him and be the forerunners of, of this whole new heavens and new earth. And he came to baptize with the spirit so that all of us could actually live the life that we're called to do. And so for us, as we in the season of Lent are going to repent, what does repentance look like? I think it, it looks like us making Jesus Lord in order that we can follow him in the power of the Holy Spirit and ourselves using this season to be refilled with God's Holy Spirit. And, and what does Jesus, Jesus Lord look like? What, what making Jesus Lord looks like? It means giving him control of our lives. It means saying, I can't live the Christian life unless I'm living under your lordship, under your authority. And anyone who's tried to follow Jesus will know that following the teaching of Jesus, trying to be a good person, you can only get so far in your own strength. Have you, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who, who, you know, from time to time tries to be good. <laughs> and um, and, and I'm, I'm always prone to messing up. I don't know if, if you're like me in that one. That's actually for me why I, 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 ha I have to ask God for forgiveness. Not as a, for the first time of repentance, but, you know, day by day, week by week, I mess up enough to say, God, I need you to cleanse me and to fill me again with the Holy Spirit. Because I've discovered that I can only live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I can't do it. I need God's Spirit in me to live the Christian life. And I have a flesh life that keeps wanting to take control back from Jesus. Way back as a young person, I said, Jesus, be my Lord. But every now and then, I want to be Lord of my life because I'm, I, I, I'm, my, my old life li likes to be indulged. Does yours? And, and, and indulging my old life my, is about me being Lord. And, you know, I was said this morning, I, I drove up to um, Harrogate this this week with Nigel, my colleague, and um, Nigel was driving, and um, I had to make Nigel lord of the car journey. It was no good me resting back control of the car 
from Nigel. Well, partly it was his car, so I had no right to do that, you know. But he kept driving past the junctions on the motor we were meant to come off. And, you know, I wanted to rest back control. But actually, I had to say, Nigel, you're lord of this car. Now, that was appropriate, because, uh, but, but in, in my life, I keep trying to rest back control from Jesus. Do you do that? When you do that, you're, you're ceasing to say that Jesus is Lord, and you're saying that you're Lord. I'm ceasing to say, Jesus is Lord of David Mitchell. In fact, David Mitchell is now Lord of, of, of David Mitchell. And David Mitchell needs to repent from being Lord of David Mitchell, because David Mitchell made a covenant and said, I want you to be Lord Jesus, because you can rescue me from myself and from all those powers that are too strong for me. So I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. And actually, the part of the deal is that I'm going to live for you now. And so, therefore, Lord Jesus, will you fill me with, with your Holy Spirit so I can live out of that? Now, that's what I want to call you to this Sunday. And in, I want you to have such a vision that Jesus is Lord. That you will want to give your life to him and let his spirit fill you. Remember, it's not just John the Baptist that says Jesus is Lord. He's attested in this chapter by the Spirit who comes and rests on Jesus like a dove. And by that voice from heaven that says, this is my son who I love, with him I'm well pleased. And so, this is how I'm going to finish my sermon. I'm going to finish it with prayer. And then we're going to go into communion. But before we take communion, I, I actually want to invite you to um, think whether you need to make Jesus Lord again. What areas of your life have you wrested control from him over? Or you've never fully surrendered to him about? For me, the release of the Spirit was about surrendering and giving my life over to God. And it wasn't the rubbish, it was the good bits. The bits that I felt I'm okay and I can be in control of this bit. It was giving those things over to God that made the difference to me being full of the Holy Spirit. So just take a moment and say, have I made Jesus Lord of, of all these things? My career? my wife, my husband, my children, my friendships, my achievements, the things I'm proud of, as well as the things I'm ashamed of. Just take a moment. Honestly, it's not when we're in, in the most trouble that we find it hard to make Jesus Lord. It's often when we're at our most comfortable and our most successful that we find it hard to make Jesus Lord. And I'm looking at a room of successful people, capable people. But Jesus' call to you to be Lord, to make him Lord, is, is key. It was easy for the tax collectors, the, the prostitutes, to make Jesus Lord. They're the ones that came to John the Baptist. The powerful ones, they found it harder. So, Lord Jesus, we, we want to choose now to say to you, yes to you, to surrender to you our strengths as well as our weaknesses. To say that unless you build the house, we labor in vain. Unless you're Lord, we will not be kingdom people. We'll not enter the kingdom of heaven, actually, unless you're Lord. So, will you help us, Lord, to surrender to you that we might be children of the king? Amen. And uh, just before we go into communion, 
I'm just going to ask you if, if you feel that, um, I'm going to ask, ask if you'd like to be filled with the Spirit again. And if, if, that, if that is you, I'd love you to stand with me. And I'm going to pray for that blessing for all of us who are standing. This is your moment if you do want to stand. And this is my, um, you know, the Spirit is an ongoing activity. Go on being filled with the Spirit, Paul says, the church in Ephesus. And um, I'm going to invite you just to put your hands out as a sign of lordship, Jesus is Lord. I'm putting my hand out as a sign of surrender, of yielding. I'm putting my hand out to you, God, to say, unless you come and fill me, I'm empty. Father, as we stand here this morning, come. Fill your church. Fill your sons and daughters. Holy Spirit, will you be for us the Holy Spirit and fire? I pray the fire of your cleansing, the fire of your energizing warmth and love and power would rest on us. In the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come in the deep place of our hearts where we feel dry, where we carry anxiety. Be the living water flowing out of our bellies, Lord God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, will you be that mighty rushing wind that helps us to go in the direction you've got for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and be the oil that anoints us be your ministers, your sons and daughters, to live the life that we're called to do as a kingdom of priests. And as, as we're praying, it may be that some of you actually sense the presence of the Spirit. For me, it feels just like it's a little on my head, <laughs> as if someone's hand is just resting on my head. It's like the, the anointing of God saying, I want to bless you. I want to pour out my Spirit on you. I want to fill you again. Just receive the Spirit. If, if you're aware of God touching you now, just say, I surrender to you again. Holy Spirit, come. I surrender to you again. Fill me with your life and power. Thank you. Thank you. You can sit down now. We're going to take communion together. And again, this is a place of repentance always, isn't it? A place of recalibration, of saying, um, Lord God, uh, I've tried to follow you, I've failed. Help me to follow you again in the power of the Spirit. So I'm going to lead us in a short prayer of acknowledging that. Father God, I'm sorry that I've done things that I shouldn't have done that have hurt you or hurt myself or hurt others. Father God, I'm sorry that I've failed to do things that would have blessed you or blessed myself or blessed others. Forgive me. Cleanse me through the blood of Jesus. Fill me again with your Holy Spirit. And on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And today, we remember that Jesus died, but we celebrate that he's risen 
and his spirit is here. And we look forward to his coming again, and we proclaim his death until he comes. And we often say an acclamation, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We're going to say that now, together. Let's say it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And in a moment, too, as the worship team come up, we're going to finish our service with communion. I invite you to come to one of the stations where you can have communion. There's at the front here, there are three stations. There's one on that side, one on that side. And if you go to those stations, um, you can just have the, the bread and the grape juice. Uh, it's gluten-free bread. It's, it's just grape juice. So come and take. And, and make that part of your own recalibration, repentance, coming back to God if you need to. But here at the front, I'm not going to be taking, not um, giving you bread and wine. And there's some other people here. We'd love to pray for you and lay hands on you. And if you feel, actually, I'd love the hands laid on me to be empowered or I, I've just got a need in my life for healing or God's blessing, that's what we're going to do as well. So here at the front, you'll get communion in the regular way as well. But we'd also, there's an opportunity for prayer and uh, just kind of gather around by the cross or on both sides here. And some of us would, would love to pray for you. So in your own time, do come. Then we'll usher you, but we haven't got lots of time, so don't be shy. Let's stand together. And as we go back into worship, do come and take communion. <laughs>